for the next uh, about eight weeks, two months, uh, I'm going to be uh, teaching and preaching. Hopefully, more teaching than preaching, uh, because I want you to I want you to get the information um, about the uh, end time things that uh, are mentioned in the Word of God. And uh, we'll be looking at the, the Old Testament uh, book of Daniel and uh, Isaiah. And then we'll be looking uh, at the words of Jesus in uh, all four Gospels. And then, of course, First uh, Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. Those, those particular letters of Paul are uh, really geared toward end-time teaching. Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica to encourage them to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. And 1 Thessalonians chapter, uh, chap, well, the, the whole uh, first book of the, First Thessalonians is about the rapture, is about the secretive catching away of the bride of Christ. And 2 Thessalonians is really about the uh, second coming and deals with some very serious issues uh, about the revealing of the Antichrist. So uh, even the letters of the Apostle Paul are uh, filled with end-time teaching. And then we'll go to the book of Revelation, of course, and uh, get a whole lot of uh, information from John's vision uh, that Jesus gave to him on the Isle of, uh, of Patmos. Uh, if you will, let's uh, turn right now to First Thessalonians. Well, I'll tell you, First Corinthians. Let's go there first. First Corinthians chapter 14, uh, 15, excuse me. First Corinthians chapter 15. And what we're going to focus on tonight is the rapture, uh, and we're going to be looking uh, at the, the timing, the processes, uh, what's going to happen exactly, and uh, if you've got questions, as I said, at the end of the teaching, uh, I'll be glad to answer those as best I can. If I can't answer them, uh, don't be upset with me, and uh, I'll find an answer for you if the question can be answered, okay? And uh, so tonight, we're looking at the rapture of the church and the doctrine of the rapture of the church. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and remember 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. And uh, Paul is writing to combat uh, a false teaching called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the philosophy that anything to do with the body is evil. And so once a Christian dies and sheds his body, gets rid of his body, then uh, that body will never be taken up again and, and, and it's seen as evil in the minds of the Gnostics. Uh, but Paul says that's not at all the case because when you look at Jesus, he was resurrected from the dead in a physical body that was glorified. And Jesus is the first fruits of them that sleep. And so we follow him and 
Therefore, we'll have a body just like his. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he, Jesus, shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So uh, we, we are going to have a resurrected, glorified, physical body. Now, it won't, it won't be just like this one. It'll be like the one Jesus had. And we just have a little glimpse of it in, in the uh, last few chapters of the Gospels. But he could be present one moment and then not be present. He could walk through walls, evidently, or be uh, uh, there and then not there. He could eat. He could drink. He could be touched. But at the same time, uh, be be intransient in the sense of not being located in one place all the time. So uh, the glorified body is uh, is Paul. Paul is telling us something about it. We're going to read that right here now. And and this is what's going to happen at the rapture, at the uh, appearing of Christ in the clouds. Now, let's start here and go ahead and read the scripture. Behold, I, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's a, that's a church nursery scripture. Yeah, right over your head. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's a nursery scripture. Okay, thank you so much. It's a tough crowd. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Please underline that phrase, at the last trump, because I want to talk about it in a little bit. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. That's a quote from the Old Testament. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so Paul is describing to us what is going to happen at the appearing of Jesus in the clouds when he calls the church out of the earth. And he says the dead are going to be raised. And when he says the dead, he's talking about the bodies of those that have died trusting and believing in Christ. You have loved ones. I've had loved ones who died as Christians. Their bodies, we went to the graveyard, we went to the cemetery, uh, we buried them there. But that was their body, their physical body. Their soul and spirit are already with Jesus. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we have, uh, Paul writes about that in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, and then again in chapter 4, and he tells us that we are clothed, with a, with a spiritual body waiting for the resurrection, then when, when the resurrection takes place, then that our soul and spirit that is in the presence of Jesus is going to be robed with a flesh body that is glorified. And, and so the soul and the body will be reunited. And that's what he's talking about here. Corruptible, that which is affected by sickness and disease and pain, is going to put on incorruption. And then mortal that which can die and be, uh, which, which has death in it, is going to put on immortality. So the resurrection body 
is incorruptible and it is immortal. Somebody said praise the Lord for that. All right. Now, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and uh, read verse 13 through 18. And Paul here again is talking, uh, obviously, about the secretive, uh, sudden appearing of Jesus in the air. And uh, he is uh, telling us what is going to happen. And you please remember what I just read to you out of, out of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. The dead in Christ are going to rise in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Their bodies are going to be glorified. Uh, they're going to put on incorruption and immortality. And we which are alive at that moment are also going to be caught up with them. So look at verse 13 here. 1 Thessalonians 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. The word asleep is talking about those who have died in the Lord, their bodies that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Underline the trump of God there. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. And so we have again a repetition of what Paul taught the church at Corinth. The dead in Christ, their bodies are going to be raised from the dead. Soul and spirit are going to be reunited with them. And they're going to live in the presence of Jesus forever. And we who are alive and remain at that moment, we're going to be changed. The word is translated. And uh, it, it uh, the, the Greek word morpho, and it means we, we get our, it means change. And, and we get our English word metamorphosis from it. And it's, it's a butterfly, it's a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It's, it's one form turning into another. And so we, in this physical form, are going to be changed into the likeness of Jesus and we're going to be uh, made in His likeness, in His image, and have a body just like His that will live forever in the presence of God. Remember, the Bible says flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And, and so this ordinary natural body that's got death in it can't go to heaven like this. It, it can't endure the presence of God, number one. It can't endure the environment that it's living in. But this body will be touched and changed and metamorphosized into the likeness and the image of Jesus' glorified body the first fruits of the resurrection, we will follow him, and so we'll look just like him as far as having a body, like his a spirit, glorified body. All right, now, uh, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, and I, I want to get the scripture uh, reading out of the way here, and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, go a little bit further into uh, some of these truths about the rapture. Matthew 24, verse 36. These are the words of Jesus, okay? But of that day and hour, 
knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Can I speak to this just for a moment and tell you that when Jesus spoke this, he was still in the earth and he was still operating in the earth as a man. It was before his death, burial, and resurrection before he got his glorified body. So he was dependent upon the help of the Holy Spirit. What he says here uh, is, is really, really important and it answers a question that I've been asked 10,000 times. Did, does Jesus know when his coming will be? Well, when he said this in the earth, I would say that he did not. That was uh, veiled from him. But when he ascended and received his, his full orb glory again in the presence of God, I think immediately he knew when. And he knows now. Okay? So don't think that Jesus is out of touch. <laughs> He's not going to be playing golf and the Father says, now go get him. And he'll have to come in from the... Huh? He knows what's going on. And and so we need to uh, understand that. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He's telling us about the time that Jesus is going to appear, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the bride. And he mentions Noah, and it's really, really important because Noah and his day is, is comparative. Jesus uses it here to compare the, the day when Christ will appear, when the rapture will take place. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. In other words, everything was just going on like it had always gone on and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Suddenly there will come, uh, the Lord Jesus will appear in the clouds and, and the shout uh, of God, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the church will be taken out of this world and it will happen quickly and it'll it'll be it'll be in a moment when people are not thinking or prepared or looking and and he's talking not so much about Christians as he is about those in the world who are outside of Christ notice what he says in verse 40 then shall two be in the field one shall be taken and the other left two women shall be grinding at the mill the one shall be taken and the other left Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. In other words, it's a secretive thing. It's, it's a, a sudden thing. It, it's, it's beyond our scope of knowledge. Verse 43 says, But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered this house to be broken up. In other words, he's saying, if I knew when my house was going to be broken into by the thief, I wouldn't have let it happen. But he says people are not going to know the date or the hour when the Lord Jesus appears. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give him meat in due season. That's talking about you and I. That's talking about the servants of the Lord, the Christians, followers of Jesus. Who is that wise servant? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when
when his Lord comes. Blessed is that servant when his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. In other words, when you're serving God faithfully and when Jesus comes and appears, you're going to be the one that is targeted by the rapture and you're going to be taken to be with the Lord. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 2, simply, uh, well, let's read verses five, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. In other words, Paul's saying, I've, I've already told you this and you're already aware of it. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. The word rapture is uh, not found in the scripture. Uh, the Greek word is rapturio. It means a forceful taking out or catching away. And uh, it would be like reaching down and grabbing something out of a basket and pulling it out forcefully, quickly. And, and that, that is the picture that you have of the rapture of the church is Jesus quickly and suddenly and forcefully taking out of this world the people of God. And the, the, though the term rapture itself is not found the word rapture is not found in your English Bible. The Greek word rapturio is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it is, it is the doctrine of the rapture that we're teaching about. Uh, we have used that word to describe the forceful catching away of the bride of Christ. Now I want to give you four things real quickly tonight. There are four S words that describe the rapture of the church and they are totally different than the second coming. Everybody say they're different than the second coming. So we need to understand that the rapture and the second coming are two different things. They're, they're two events. And, and they're separated scripturally by seven years. There's seven years between the rapture and the second coming. Now, if you were a mathematician, and I don't think it would take somebody with a uh, just a, a tremendous uh, intellect for, for adding and subtracting. But if you were to figure out and know the day of the rapture, from that day, you could measure seven years. Listen to me. You could measure seven years. 2,520 days and Jesus will come because the Bible in the book of Revelation is very blank, very point blank about giving us the number of days. Okay. Jesus said when he comes and appears in the clouds to catch away the church nobody's going to know that second coming, you could figure it out almost to the very moment because of what is given to us in the book of Revelation. That distinguishes the rapture from the second coming. There are four words that deal with the rapture that uh, I want to 
look at tonight real quickly, and it'll it'll just give you a, a little bit of a description of the rapture. I've read to you already these things. Number one, it's signless. Everybody say signless. What I mean by that is there is nothing that is associated with the rapture that has to take place or that will be taking place in the sense of the specific sign. In the, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus comes the second time, you have, you have the first three and a half years, you have the second three and a half years, you have three different sets of judgments. You have, you have the seals, you have the trumpets, and you have the vials or bowl judgments. And the bowl judgments take up the last three and a half years. And, and if you study those and read that, you will, you will see the signs that predict Jesus coming. Now, uh, the Lord spoke a little bit about the second coming in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, and Luke, chapter 21. Uh, he talks somewhat about those things and uh, just such upheaval in the earth. And you, you, what, what we need to understand is this. Um, the, the rapture is a necessary event that God has declared will take place and it will allow all of the events of eschatology, end-time things, to transpire because of it taking place. Uh, the Bible tells us in First uh, Thessalonians that we are appointed, that the saved, listen to me, those who have obtained salvation are not appointed to receive wrath. Okay? We're not appointed to receive wrath. The tribulation, we are told, is the wrath of God. It is God's judgment upon the world for its rejection of Christ, and it is intended also to bring about the salvation of national Israel. A remnant of the people of God will be saved because of Jacob's trouble. That's what it's called in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's called the Great Tribulation. And it is, a, it, is, it is designed to bring Israel to a place of recognizing Jesus as their national Messiah. And that's what's going to happen. But the rapture is signless. Nothing has to take place for the rapture to take place. Paul was looking for Jesus to come in his day. That's why he writes 1 Thessalonians and that's why he writes 2 Thessalonians and why he talks about the coming of Jesus in the way that he does. We all know, brother, he said perfectly, you know, that the coming of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. So the first thing is the rapture is signless. That means you just need to get ready and be ready because Jesus could come at any moment. We use the word in theology, eminence. Everybody say eminence. I-M-M-I-N-E-N-C-E. And imminent or eminence, the doctrine of eminence simply means at any moment. Jesus could come at any moment. The assemblies of God from word uh, from our very beginning taught eminency, taught that the fact the rapture was going to take place uh, and, and it would be without signs and we needed to be prepared because it it was it could happen at any moment. And 
and I've read to you the scriptures, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, even until the moment that uh, Noah entered into the ark, and then the flood came and took them all away. They, they, were not, they were not at all expecting or prepared for that day. <clears throat> Number two, the rapture is secretive. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? That sounds like God is, is trying to keep it hid so that, that some folks won't find out about it. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, when, when I say it is secretive, it simply means that it is nobody knows the day nor the hour. Uh, we just got to be prepared. It's God's secret. It belongs to the Lord, to the knowledge of God, to the mind of God. And uh, Paul does write to us and tell us that we need to be spiritually perceptive and aware uh, so that uh, the day doesn't take us unaware that that we're living soberly and vigilantly and and, I, and I'm just telling you this uh, you, you don't need to know the day Jesus is coming if you did you'd probably miss it because you you'd, you'd, you'd probably just decide okay the day before I'm gonna do everything I, I that I, that I think I can do <laughs> get by I know people that say that kind of thing. The secretive coming of Jesus is simply the fact that I, I, I don't know. I've got to be prepared. It's signless and it's secretive. And then thirdly, it's sudden. The Bible says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, someone has said that the twinkling of an eye or the blink of an eye is one-tenth of one second. And so you can imagine that is beyond what we are able to to see or or hear or or contemplate it is it is just upon us uh, before we we know it it is upon us and and it is beyond us and and we need to be ready when when the roll is called up yonder we need to be ready and and if we keep our eyes on Jesus we will be so it's sudden and the issue of that is is nobody's going to have time to pray nobody's going to have time to go to church Nobody's going to have time to do anything spiritual. It'll be over with and done with before you know it. You hear me? And so it's signless, secretive, and sudden. And then the fourth thing is it's separating. Uh, the, the rapture takes place for, for uh, several reasons, but one of the reasons it takes place is to separate the saved from the unsaved. Because those that are left behind are going to endure the wrath of God. And those who were saved weren't meant for the wrath of God. That's why Noah was inside the ark, because he wasn't meant for the wrath of God. See? God preserved him. God kept him out of it. The, uh, the, the, uh, and we'll talk about it, the promise of the church to Philadelphia in uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, is a very powerful statement of God's design to keep the church out of the little Greek word is ek. Everybody say ek. Hey, you didn't know you knew Greek. Ek is uh, the Greek word for out of or from. And and so God will keep us out of or from the day of trouble that is coming upon the earth to trial them that dwell upon the face of the earth. So uh, it is the the uh, it is separated. Jesus talked about one being in the field, uh, two being in the field, one, one's going to be taken, the other left. What's he saying there? 
going to be separation. One's saved, one's not saved. One's under the blood, and one's not under the blood. And, and that's the point that he's trying to make, is that uh, people will be going about their daily work, and, and you may be driving in your car, and uh, uh, you, you may be working on a rooftop, or you, you may be working in a factory, or you may be uh, whatever it is you're doing. And then the trump of God sounds, and suddenly you're gone. You're gone. And, and somebody else is going to be left behind. Everybody who's not saved at the rapture is going to be left behind. And I know that sounds, sounds harsh, doesn't it? but that's just the way it is. Now, let me, let me say something else here. I am not a proponent of uh, the doctrine that was taught several years ago some people still uh, teach it, uh, a partial rapture theory. In other words, you have to be specially, you have to be specially saved. <laughs> you, you have got to be more saved than somebody else. Uh, in other words, uh, the, 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 the ones that've got their lamps trimmed and, and burning, they're going, and then the other virgins, you see, all ten of them were virgins. And, and people have wrongly took that and said that part of the church is going and part of the church is not. In other words, about 50% is not going. Well, I'm telling you, all the church is going. If you're saved, if you're born again, if you if Jesus' Spirit lives inside of you, you're saved. And when the trumpet of God sounds, you're going. You hear me? And, and, and it's not a matter of whether you're super spiritual or you've attained to this level of, of relationship with God. I'm telling you, it doesn't, you, you may be six months old in the Lord and you may be 50 years old in the Lord. Listen, 11th hour servants get paid the same thing as, as first hour servants. Preach. I'm not supposed to be preaching. I'm supposed to be teaching. So, so we, we need to understand that rapture is to separate the saved from the unsaved because then what's coming is going to be the wrath of God and it's poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world and it's meant to bring about the salvation of the lost, but it's also especially meant to speak to Israel and to bring them to a uh, national recognition of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, tonight, let me let me give you as... Uh, are you bored yet? Please sit, tell me you're not. Okay. Okay. Uh, I won't keep this as, as, as interesting as I possibly can. Uh, reasons for a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, uh, pre-tribulation rapture, what does that mean? That means the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation period. And, and, and with all of my heart, uh, I, I want to tell you, I am pre-trib. And, and if you don't like that, well, get over it. Uh, <laughs> uh, the issue is there, there are three theories on, on the coming of Jesus, uh, the rapture. One is, one is what is called post-tribulation. That means at the end of the tribulation, Jesus is going to appear and he's going to, this never has made any sense to me, he, he's going to appear in the clouds and uh, he's going to rapture the, the church out of the earth and, and resurrect the, the church those who have died in the Lord, and immediately we're going to come right back to earth with him. And uh, that that really is is uh, something that that 
scripturally doesn't pan out. Um, that's post-tribulation. And then there's mid-trib. Everybody, did you underline the, the last trump thing that I told you to underline? Uh, both 1 Corinthians 15 and, and 1 Thessalonians 4 mention the trump of God. It shall sound. Uh, Paul says the last trump in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, what, what some, some teachers believe is that the last trump that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about the last one of the trumpet judgments that sounds in the middle of the tribulation period. And so that's when Jesus is going to rapture the church in the middle of the tribulation period because of the last trump, the last one of the seven trumpets that is a judgment during the tribulation period. Well, that's not what that trump is about. Paul is talking about the last trump. The last trump, if you study it out, you understand that he's talking about the Roman camp. And and when the soldiers would get ready to break down camp, and be, uh, they would either be marching or they would be going into battle, there would be a trump that would sound and it would let them know that whatever they were doing, stop, get ready to go to battle get ready to go to war. And that that is the idea of the last trump. And it's a trump of alarm. It's a trumpet that says we're moving. We're, we're gathering and we're getting ready to go. Everybody say the last trump is about leaving. And it's the same way when you go to the Old Testament when God gave those two silver trumpets that were to be blown uh, during the time of Moses and their wanderings in the wilderness, those two trumpets were to be blown. They were made out of silver, which represents redemption. And the men that were taught to blow those trumpets would blow a certain sound, a certain blast, a certain note. And there were several different sounds. And each sound meant something. It meant to gather to the congregation, to the tent of congregation, and God was going to meet with them. Or Moses was calling an elders meeting, and so a certain sound would would be heard. There was a trumpet that would sound to call the people to worship. There was a trumpet that would sound that would call the people to break the camp down and let them know that they were fixing to go and make uh, a move and they were going somewhere else. And then there was a trumpet that would sound knowing that they were going to war. So the, the trumpet in the Old Testament was, was somewhat the same way that in the New Testament. When the trumpet sounded, it meant get ready to go. The last trump that would sound in the camp of Israel was the camp, the, 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 the trump that would say, tear down the tents, take down the tabernacle, we're moving to a new place. And I'm telling you, when the trump of God sounds, the last trump sounds, God's telling us, get ready because you're going somewhere. I'm taking you out of this world. I'm going to take you into that place that I've prepared for you. That's the last trump. That's what that's about. Somebody said, oh, praise the Lord. So next time you hear somebody say we're going in the middle of the tribulation period, tell them they got their trumpets mixed up. Tell them you're not tooting that horn. <laughs> oh, goodness. That was crowd I'd ever talked to more. All right. Uh, the reasons for a pre-trib rapture. Number one, and uh, th this sounds really uh, intellectual, but it's it's not, because there are people that, that that mess with the Bible all the time. You know, the Word of God tells us 
in the book of Revelation. Don't add to my word and don't take from my word. If you do, then your name's going to be taken out of the book of life or I'm going to add <laughs> the plagues of this book to you. Now what it says? So don't mess with the Bible. Don't, don't try to rewrite it. Don't try to interpret it in a wrong way. And so the first, the first thing that helps us understand in a pre-tribulation rapture is simply a literal interpretation of the Scripture. There are several ways that people interpret the Bible in the assemblies of God and in our Bible schools and, and our theologians. We believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. We do not believe in a figurative interpretation of the Bible or a symbolic interpretation of, a, of the Bible or a spiritualizing of the Bible. We believe that when God says something, He means that. And it's the only way to understand the Word of God. And if you spiritualize everything, you're, you're going to be messed up. And if you figuratively interpret the Bible, you really will be messed up because what if your figure is not right? What if you say that water is the Holy Spirit and water in the place where you read it is judgment? You're messed up. So let water be water. You hear me? We believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. And so when when we do that, then we come to understand that when the Bible says uh, there is 70 weeks that have been determined upon the people of God, 490 years, 70 weeks of seven years, 490 years, that those 490 years are literal years that are meant to be fulfilled in the history and the life and the future of Israel. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But we can't say uh, 70 weeks is is, 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 is is something totally different, that it's figurative. Or, or if, we, if we talk about uh, uh, anything where, where the Bible mentions, uh, in the book of Revelation, you, you, I think this is where people really trip up, is because there is so much uh, descriptive language and, and we're, we're looking at a time gap. Paul, uh, John, is writing 2,000 years ago, and he's describing events that are going to take place in what I believe is our near future. And he's seeing things that, that he's never seen before, and he is doing his best with the help of the Holy Spirit to try to describe these things. And, and so uh, when he talks about animals, when he talks about beast, when he talks about uh, descriptive things uh, like those creatures that come out of the bottomless pit and, and torment men for five months, uh, we, we, we need to understand uh, the best way to understand that is a literal interpretation of the Bible, not to spiritualize it or make it a figure of speech. Uh, but to understand it. And when we use a literal interpretation of the Bible, we will come to the conclusion that uh, the rapture is going to take place and then God is going to start His end time program of restoring Israel and bringing about the millennial and all of the, the, the things that, that are coming uh, from that point forward. Uh, the second thing, is uh, okay the nature of the 70th week 
And I know that just sounds, that's, you say, what is the 70th week? Well, in the book of Daniel, the Bible tells us that there, there is a, a 490 years that have been determined on the people of God. And it is, it is to bring about the birth of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, and then ultimately the salvation of, of, uh, of Israel. And there are a number of words used in both the Old and New Testaments to describe the 70th week of Daniel. We believe scripturally that 69 of those weeks have been fulfilled. And the reason we believe that is because the last seven years is, is set apart. And the 69th week was the cutting off. It's described as, in the book of Daniel, the cutting off of the Messiah. That would be the death of Jesus. Everybody say the death of Jesus. And, and when Daniel talks about the cutting off of the Messiah, that was the end of the 69th week. And we know that's happened. And then there is a mystical period called the church age. And it's not even mentioned prophetically in the scripture. Uh, that's why a lot of people have gotten uh, so confused in their understanding of the scripture, especially the Israeli people not understanding the coming of the Messiah. Uh, because when Jesus was cut off and they didn't recognize him, you see, they missed him. And then the church age started. God turned away from Israel in the sense of his end time plan and he turned his face toward the Gentiles and he's building a church. And the church is a mystery. The church is the mystery of godliness. And, and, and it's, it's that period that God has set aside to take out a people for the glory of his name. When that, when that ends, and, and for the most part, that's going to end with the rapture. Because then God's going to turn his attention to Israel. And the 70th week, the last seven years of those 490 years is going to be about the salvation of Israel. And so the nature of the 70th week really is about Israel, about the people of God. And so it, 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 it has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with Israel. Uh, the second thing is, the third thing is the scope of the 70th week. There can be no question that this 70th week, this seven-year period, will see the wrath of God poured out upon the whole earth. Uh, Revelation makes that very, very clear. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, which calls this period the time of Jacob's trouble. You might want to write that down, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, because uh, Jacob's trouble is the Old Testament uh, great tribulation and the description of the Great Tribulation in the New Testament. So Jeremiah 37 calls it Jacob's trouble. The events of the 70th week are events of the day of the Lord or the day of Jehovah. This use of the name of deity emphasizes God's particular relationship of being a covenant God with Israel. When this period is being anticipated in Daniel 9, God says to the prophet, listen, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, Jerusalem. The whole period then has a special reverence, reference to Daniel's people Israel and Daniel's holy city, Jerusalem. Colossians 125, uh, 
1, 25-27 makes it clear that the church is a mystery and its nature is a body composed of Jew and Gentiles alike was unrevealed in the Old Testament and has nothing to do with the 70th week that God has determined will bring about the salvation of national Israel. I'm moving on quickly. Number four, the purpose of the 70th week. The scriptures indicate that there are two major purposes to be accomplished in the 70th week. Number one, the first purpose is found in Revelation 3.10. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Apart from the question involved as to who will be in this time of testing, we got to look at several considerations. First of all, we see that this period has in view them that dwell on the earth and not the church. When God says the church, He means the church. When He says them that dwell upon the earth, He's not talking about the church. There is a difference there. This same expression occurs seven other times in the book of Revelation. In its usage, it is not giving us a geographical description, but rather a moral classification of the people that live in the world. Now the word dwell is katokeo in the Greek, and it's a strong word, and it, and it is used to describe the fullness of the Godhead that dwelt in Christ. It is used of Christ taking up a permanent abode in the believer's heart. It is to be distinguished from the word uh, okio, which is the general term for dwell, and parakio, which has the idea of transitoriness or sojourning or moving on, not staying in any one particular place. And so when the Bible says that this time is for earth dwellers, it's obviously not talking about the church because the church is, is, is a part of that group of people that the, the Godhead dwells in presence of Jesus dwells in and so it's not used of those who dwell in the earth those who are possessed of the spirit of the world and then then secondly the prophet states the second major purpose of the 70th week is is in relation to Israel behold I will send you Elijah this is from Malachi behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The prophet states that the ministry of this Elijah was a ministry to prepare the people for the king who was shortly to come. The Lord was showing the disciples that John the Baptist had the ministry of preparing a people for his first coming. And, and so, when we read here that the 70th week is about the preparation of Israel for the receiving of the Messiah, we have to understand that he's talking about earth dwellers and the, the people of Israel and that the church has no mention in the 70th week. And then uh, you can just quickly skip to number five, the unity of the 70th week. In, in the scriptures in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27, Matthew 24 verse 15, Revelation 13, it, it, it talks about the seven years divided in two three and a half periods, three and a half year periods, and the nature and the character of the week is the same 
it, uh, some people have said, well, the first three and a half is going to be seemingly peaceful and uh, preparatory. And so that's why the church, the rapture is not going to take place till the middle of that because then the wrath of God is poured out. But that, that's not at all what the Bible says because if you look at the very beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist is revealed as soon as the church is raptured and the Holy Spirit's ministry through the church is taken out of the world, then the Antichrist is revealed. And the Antichrist immediately begins to operate in his anointing, that, that hellish anointing, to... to uh, plot and plan and overthrow and deceive. And uh, the white horse rider in uh, Revelation chapter 6 is the Antichrist. He's got, a, he's got a, a bow and arrow in his hand. He's imitating Jesus. And he's going to do everything he can to deceive the world and to establish his kingdom of darkness. And he will do it so well that the Bible tells us that much of the world is going to go after him. Much of the, the whole earth is going to follow after him. All right. Uh, so the unity of the 70th week is about uh, the same thing, the judgment of God upon this earth. Uh, number six, the nature of the church. One must carefully observe certain distinctions between the church and Israel, which the Bible clearly uh, sets forth. And many times is overlooked in the study of, of eschatology. It is a distinction between the professing church and national Israel. Some people get, get Israel and the church confused. And they say that the church is Israel and Israel is the church. That's not true. Uh, we, the church is mystical. It is a body that is set apart uh, strictly for the purpose of of bringing glory and honor to Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And Israel is is uh, a completely different subject when it comes to God's dealing. Now, God will save an Israeli just like he'll save you. We're all saved the same way, by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. But national Israel is, is, is the apple of God's eye, and they're a covenant people, and God is going to do something powerful during this 70th, week, this seven year period that is going to bring Israel to a recognition of the Messiah. You remember John 1 verse 11 and 12. He came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. There, there is a distinction between the professing church and national Israel. There is a distinction between the true church and the professing church, the Laodicean church, and the Philadelphian church. I wish I had time to go into that tonight. There, there is a distinction between the true church and true or spiritual Israel. Prior to Pentecost, there were saved individuals, but there was no church. And they were part of spiritual Israel, not the church. After the day of Pentecost and until the rapture, the church is one body, the body of Jesus Christ, and there is no spiritual Israel. After the rapture, we find no church, but we will find a spiritual Israel again that God has clearly turned his attention to. The rapture will remove not all who make a profession of faith in Christ, but all those who have truly been born again and received the life of God. The unbelieving portion of those who are Laodicean without Christ 
together with unbelievers in the nation of Israel will go into the tribulation period. The church age as a mystery, closely related to the previous uh, truth that I just shared with you, is, is the idea uh, and the concept in the New Testament that the church is a mystery. It was no mystery that God was going to provide salvation for the Jews nor that Gentiles would be blessed in salvation. Remember when Peter first started preaching, who did he preach to? The Jews. He wouldn't preach to a Gentile because he thought salvation was only for national Israel. But that's why God showed him the vision of the sheet and he went to Cornelius' house and the first Gentiles were saved. And from that moment, God's turned his attention to the Gentiles. And so the church is a mystery and it is something that... that uh, Absolutely, because the church is a mystery, it is absolutely necessary for the rapture to take place before the tribulation because it removes the church and it allows God to turn his attention back to national Israel. And so the, the, the church is a mystery, I think, is one of the greatest uh, reasons for believing in a pre-tribulation rapture. The church is manifestly an interruption of God's program for Israel. In other words, it was a pause. And it's been a pause for about 2,000 years as God has been uh, reaping the harvest of what God did on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. And then, then uh, number seven, the distinctions between Israel and the church. There are 24 contrasts between Israel and and the church. I, I, I'll go through those some other time. I don't, I don't have time tonight. But, but four-fifths of the Bible talk about Israel. One-fifth of the Bible talks about the church. The divine purpose, Israel, is the nation through which all earthly promises in the covenants were made. The church is the heavenly promises in the gospel. The seed of Abraham is Israel, the physical seed, and the church was the spiritual seed conceived as a result of Jesus Christ. Israel's physical birth produced a relationship. The church, a spiritual birth, that brings a relationship. Israel's head is Abraham, and the church's head is Christ. Israel had a covenant made through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but the church has its covenants made through the blood of Jesus Christ. There, there, there are 24 different things here, and I, I don't I want to take the time to, to talk about it. the 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 eighth thing, the doctrine of imminence. I mentioned it a while ago. Imminence is just a fancy word that means at any time. Many signs were given to the nation Israel, which would precede the second coming, but there was no sign given concerning the rapture of the church. It is at any moment. And it was something new that the, the, the church, Israel had never heard. They were, that's one reason they didn't receive Christ because they were looking, they were looking for signs. They were looking for a conqueror. They were looking for Rome to be overthrown. And, and they completely missed the coming of Jesus. And they missed it the first time and they're going to miss it the second time. Isn't that sad? But God is going to turn his attention to them and bring them to salvation. 
And then th- this is uh, one of the important points that I, I want to make, and then then I'll quit, give you a little bit of time to ask questions. The work of the the restrainer. Everybody say the restrainer. Uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter two, uh, the Bible says that the one who is holding back the revealing of the Antichrist, the one who is holding back the revealing of the man of sin, is going to be taken out of the way. And when he is taken out of the way, then 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 the lawless one is going to be manifested. And and so many people have said, well, that means the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the earth. And that's an impossibility because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And God has not said he was going to take the Holy Spirit out of the earth. What's going to happen is this. when the And this, this makes me believe even more in, in the rapture of the church before the tribulation. Because when, when the church is raptured, there will be no body of Christ for the Holy Spirit to work through. How does the Holy Spirit work right now? He works through the church, through the body of Christ. Matter of fact, Jesus sent him to be the paraclete, the helper, the one who works through the church, the one who manifests himself through the people of God. Well, when the rapture takes place, there'll be no body for him to work through. And so the, 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 the influence of darkness is just going to just just come in like a flood because the restrainer and the restrainer's force and influence is going to be taken out. Jesus said, as long as you're in the world, what are you? Salt and light. And what happens when the salt and light's taken out of the earth? Gross darkness covers the land. And, and, and the influence of evil is going to completely rule and reign. And so it's going to be a dark, dark time. So the rapture, when it takes place, is going to take the, the influence and the restrainer out of the earth and then the Bible says that the evil one will come. And I think that is a powerful, powerful truth that makes me believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because it, it, it can't happen. Uh, uh, well, if the Holy Spirit is the one who's taken out of the earth, then how are people going to be saved during the tribulation? Because there's only one way to be saved. And that is for the Holy Spirit to draw men to Christ. You can't be born again unless the Spirit of God does it. And they're going to be obviously hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people saved during the tribulation. Revelation 7, who are these that have come out of great tribulation that have made the robes white in the blood of the Lamb and overcome by the word of the testimony? These are they which came out of great tribulation. That's what John says, or the angel says. So there will be people saved during the tribulation. So the Holy Spirit has to be in the earth. But His power will be diminished in the sense of His influence because the body of Christ will be taken out of the earth. The necessity of an interval. The necessity of an interval. What do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> when you go to the book of Revelation, um, the, the, here, here's an order, and I'll give it to you real quick. Uh, the rapture, and then the church is in heaven for seven years, and the earth is plunged into the great tribulation for seven years. There are things that the Bible says are going to be going on in heaven during the seven years that there's judgment in the earth. What are those things? The marriage supper of the Lamb will be wed to Christ by the Holy Spirit and then the Bema seat or the Bema judgment seat of Christ where we will receive our rewards 
for our soon-to-be place in the millennial kingdom when we return with Christ at the end of the tribulation period. There has to be a interval there. And that's another reason for our belief in a pre-tribulation rapture is if there is not one, then there's not going to be any interval so that these things can transpire. If we interpret the Bible literally, then we understand there is a necessity of things that are going on in heaven with the church that has been raptured and things that are going on in the earth at the same time with the world that is suffering the wrath and the judgment of God. Everybody understand that? So there is of necessity an interval that must take place. All right, I'm, I'm going to stop there and uh, let you ask some questions, okay? I don't know who the Antichrist is. Any questions? Is, is, is this helpful? You mean during the tribulation period? They're going to miss the supper. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I don't know whether God's going to have three suppers or not, but uh, I do know that when what the Bible teaches is that when the rapture takes place, we're going to be presented as the bride of Christ to Jesus, uh, presented to the Father, and we're going to be married to the Son. And uh, we are betrothed right now. We're the betrothed bride, bride of Christ. We're in that waiting period, if you understand Jewish ritual. We're in that waiting period. and uh, But uh, God has claimed us and put his seal on us. And, and, and when the rapture takes place, our salvation will have come in its fullness. And we will be wed and united and joined with Jesus. And we uh, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. I, I do know this, though, that in Revelation 7, there is going to be a gathering of people, probably the 144,000 who are saved uh, Jews that God set apart after he saved them to preach the gospel to the world. And those 144,000, they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. (laughs) Matter of fact, they don't even talk about the 144,000 anymore because there's more in their church now than 144,000. So I guess they were going to offend somebody, but uh, so so those hundred forty four thousand are caught up. There are seven raptures in the Bible. Okay, let me give you seven raptures. Uh, number one, uh, Enoch was a rapture. Elijah was a rapture. Jesus was a rapture. The church in First Thessalonians chapter 4 is a rapture. And then there are the saints in the middle of the tribulation, the 144,000 that are caught up. Then the two witnesses that are on the street of Jerusalem, they are resurrected, they are caught up right there in front of the Antichrist. And then the last group is another group uh, of people that have died, killed uh, by the, the hand of the Antichrist, and they're caught up into the presence of God, the souls under the altar uh, that were crying out, uh, 
how long, O Lord, before you avenge us? And, and we're waiting for those others that are going to be. And then at the end, that's why people believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib, because there are actually seven raptures in the Bible, and three of them take place uh, right at the beginning of the tribulation, in the middle, and at the end there is a catching up of the bride of Christ. But the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, I don't know, maybe it's going to take place all during the seven years. And maybe when those people die and are caught up to be with the Lord, maybe they go right into uh, the uh, beam of judgment. Because the Bible says that every one of us will stand before Jesus and give an account and our works will be judged and our place will be given for our service in the kingdom of God so that when we come back with him at uh, Revelation chapter 19 when the heavens open he's riding on a white horse the armies of heaven follow him that's us and the angels of God he devours the beast and the false prophet with the brightness of his coming and then we come back to the earth we'll rule and reign with him a thousand years and and so God is going to give us our place in the kingdom to serve some captains priests governors ambassadors uh, rulers uh, priests workers in the kingdom Serving Jesus in the millennial realm. Did, did that come close to answering? Did that help at all? Yeah. I'd see you later. Yeah. Yes. Well, when you say go to heaven, uh, heaven is a is a is a big time. Uh, that's that's kind of generic. Uh, we're ultimately going to New Jerusalem. That That's the holy city that John saw coming down from God out of heaven. But that'll be on earth, on the new earth. The new earth. Yeah, we'll be caught up to be with Jesus. And heaven, heaven, I like to think of it like this. Heaven is wherever Jesus is. Heaven is wherever God is. It's a dwelling place of God. Jesus said, I'm going to come back, I'm going to get you, I'm going to take you to be with me, and wherever I am, I want you to be there. Okay? So, uh, at the rapture, I'm not sure we're going to New Jerusalem. Uh, We're definitely going to New Jerusalem uh, at the end of all things, uh, after the end of the thousand years, because we're coming back to this earth after we're raptured seven years in heaven, we spend there with him, we come back, and then for a thousand years, we rule and reign with Christ here on this earth. At the end of that, the first earth and the first heaven are going to pass away. And then God is going to give us that new heaven and new earth with new Jerusalem being the centerpiece of it. And God is going to dwell with us and we will be his people. Now, you're asking, what is the order of things? Let me let me give you just a real quick overview of that. The rapture in heaven, seven years of uh, marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, the 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 beam of judgment seat of Christ uh, on the earth, seven years of tribulation, the three separate judgments, the Antichrist will be in the earth, havoc, judgment poured out, Six, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Uh, two-thirds of the world's population will be destroyed, killed during the tribulation period. And it's going to be messy. And at the end of that, Jesus is coming back, destroy the beast and the false prophet, and then he'll set up his thousand-year reign. After the thousand-year reign, uh, this earth and this heaven will be destroyed. 
There's no more place found in Revelation chapter 20. There's the great white throne judgment, and that's only for the wicked dead. The wicked dead will be judged and confined to Hades or to Gehenna fire, and and then the church will, uh, and God's people will go into the new heavens and the new earth. So that that basically the order of things. Jack. That's a good question. That's a deep question for somebody your age. Do the unsaved get a second chance? Um, God gives us time and life. And that time and life is our opportunity to make peace with God. And if we if we receive Christ, then then we're saved. If if we do not in our life receive Christ then we don't have another opportunity that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation that's a good question that's a deep question after the rapture oh that's a different story yeah Yes, uh, because of God's mercy and grace, they're still breathing air. They still have an opportunity. Yes, yes, yes. Once you go there, you're there. Matter of fact, uh, people don't understand Hades is uh, the place where the wicked dead are, and then at the Revelation chapter twenty says that Hades and and death will be cast into Gehenna. In other words, the place where they are now, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, which is the ultimate separation from God. So where they are now is not where they will always be. They'll be confined to the lake of fire. Is it? I'm sorry. Those who miss the rapture, those who are not taken up, yeah. judged, they will enter in. The, the tribulation period is a is a time when God pours out His wrath upon the earth. That doesn't necessarily mean a personal judgment. It simply means the whole earth will be judged and anybody in it. And, and if in that time you turn to Christ, you can be saved. No, he pours out his judgment. That's what those uh, the seals, the the uh, trumpets, and the bowl judgments are are different time periods, and each one of them is a particular judgment. Uh, for instance, he pours out. Uh, I'll just give you an illustration. In one of them, uh, all the green grass on the earth is is burned up. Another one, all the fish in the sea die. Another one, the river Euphrates dries up and the army from the east, which is probably China and Japan and, and those those confederacies during that time, they'll come across the river Euphrates and they'll gather at Armageddon. That's one of the, one of the judgments. So it's a, it's a, lot, of a lot of different things. But in that time, two-thirds of the population of the world will be killed. 
No, this body. This body will be changed. You'll look like you. No. No. Your clothes will be left. You'll leave your... You'll, you'll leave this temporal stuff behind, but this body will be glorified, spiritualized, made like Jesus, and it'll go into, into the presence of God. No, no, no. Yeah, where's the vehicle? That's what's going to be horrible about it. How about airplanes? you got to save air pilot. They, that, that, yes, exactly. I don't think that's, you know, I, what you're saying is valid. But I don't think it's a good way to think at all. It, if we can't live for Jesus now, we can't live for Jesus then. And yeah. Uh, my, my trouble is, I, I'm saying, and, and I think there will be people who will be saved, who miss the rapture, who've been around the church, who have grandparents like you or, or a parent like you, uh, and and they they didn't live for the Lord. They missed it, and immediately they realized, I should have done something. I, I think some of those people probably are going to be saved. I, they're going to have to really count the cost because it's going to be a difficult, difficult time during during that time. Yeah, I'm sorry, Sister Christine. Yes. There will be a lot of people who will be, yes. Not everybody who doesn't take the mark of the beast is going to suffer death, but uh, if you're living in an, a country, they're going to be... Okay. I don't want to keep you all all night, but... Yeah. Well, just because you don't take the mark doesn't mean you're saved. Possibly, uh, I understand what you're saying. You have to receive Jesus Christ, and, and hopefully, that's what those people are doing by not taking the mark. Is that they're confessing Christ? There are going to be nations in the earth who do not come under the persuasion of the Antichrist. He's not going to be a worldwide ruler like Jesus is going to be, but he is going to rule mainly in Europe, and then probably part of Asia. But the Chinese, the kings of the East, are not going to follow him. Matter of fact, the Bible says they will trouble him the whole time of his his power. There are going to be those from the South, probably some Muslim confederations that will not follow him. Uh, I don't know about the Western alliances like the United States and Great Britain and those sorts of things. I, I don't know if those alliances are going to hold true. But I, I do know the rapture, because of the rapture, a lot of things are going to change. That's why the rapture is going to take place, because a lot of things are going to change as a result of the rapture. Those things that the righteousness of God and, and people that had faith, and, and, and like in America. You take the church out of America. Can you imagine what America would be if, if we didn't have the church in, in America? It, it would be hell on earth. 
and and I'm telling you, that's what it's going to be when when Jesus comes. Yeah. Yes. They, they are the bear from the north. But they're going to be destroyed. Five-sixths of them are going to be destroyed in the in the battle uh, that is going to, I believe it's going to take place right at the time of the rapture. And I think that's one of the things that's going to cause a great revival in the earth just before Jesus comes. Is, is God's going to rain fire and brimstone and hailstones upon their army along with that Muslim confederacy, Persia and all the kings that are that are coming with, uh, with uh, the chief prince of uh, of Meshach and Tubal, which is which is Russia, and they're going to come from the north to try to take a spoil uh, Israel, and uh, yes, they're going to be destroyed. Though, Lauren, I'm sorry. Absolutely, I think I think because because the devil doesn't know when Jesus is coming, I think he's always had somebody in the earth. Oh, really? I'm glad you don't want to be that person. I think I've pastored him a couple of times, haven't I? How does he become that person? Well, the Bible says that the the, the, the spirit of the enemy enters into him. So I, I I don't know exactly how that happens, but he will. He, I believe, for every generation, there's always been somebody that could could. Uh, with a desire to to follow evil. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, he's probably he's probably going to be a an Israeli Jew. I mean, an Israeli uh, Muslim, uh, probably uh, Arabic and with Jewish background, or Jewish with Arabic background, because he's going to bring peace between these two people. Uh, very smart. Uh, his ways, he'll, he'll, he'll great in economy. Uh, money's things like that. He's also probably going to be a homosexual. I'm, I'm sorry? Who's going to be the great Babylon? Well, well, I don't know if I have time to go into that. Uh, what, you're, what you're talking about is um, a system. And Babylon is not necessarily just one nation or one groups of people. It's a system. And when, when Nebuchadnezzar saw that statue, he was the great head. And then, then you had the other empires that followed. And the last empire was uh, uh, the feet with uh, iron and clay. And that represents the revised Roman Empire, the old Roman Empire made up of ten nation states. And uh, that really represents a system of evil and iniquity. And so I think America could be a part of that because of of the way we are. Uh, Yeah, and and that's another reason why I believe the rapture is necessary before the tribulation. Because if the church is taken out of America, you can see right now how we would just... We'd, we'd hook up with whoever we could hook up with. And, uh, yes. I'm sorry. 
Brother Bob, I don't, I don't think anybody knows who the Antichrist is going to be. Lauren asked the question, and I think he, the, the devil, because he doesn't know when Jesus is coming, he doesn't know God, the, the timing of it. I think there's always, there's always people that could fill that place immediately if, if the rapture took place. I think there'd be somebody who could step into that immediately. And, and, uh, you know, he may be going to church today. Who knows? Yeah, he's he's the Samin. Uh, yeah, uh, he's he's a crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, he's uh he's he want he wants to westernize uh, the the uh, the sheikdom is, is what it's called. Uh, it's going to be somebody like that. It's going to be somebody like that. Yes, yes, very much so. Okay, one more question, and we'll we'll quit. Any, any others? Okay. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. Say it again. Okay. <laughs> yes. The new heaven and the new earth. The question is, where is the new heaven and the new earth going to be? Uh, Re- Revelation 20. Uh, says uh, that the heavens rolled back like a scroll. There was no more place found for them. And then, then John saw a great white throne judgment and, 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 and the one who sat upon the throne from who everybody fled away from and, and the wicked were judged and they were cast into the lake of fire, the beast and the false prophet, the Satan was cast into the, this is the second death. And, and then John says, I saw... Uh, and then there was a new heaven and a new earth. Where is it going to be? I suppose somewhere in this same area, but 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 uh, we, we're not understanding a new a new heaven and a new earth. Think about it. The, the the word heaven there is talking about the sky that you see, the sun, the moon, the planets. All that's going to be different than it is now and and then the new earth is going to be some people say this one's going to be renovated by fire and and made new and uh, god's going to do some different stuff with it and it's obvious it is because when john saw the holy city new jerusalem come down from god out of heaven uh to this earth or or to the earth that he made there was no more sea there was no more sea so uh it's not going to be like this one. It's obvious it's not. Uh, so, uh, now, now the millennial reign is different. It's this earth. And that'll be in Jerusalem. Yes, ma'am. That'll be in, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, the thousand years. That's where the kingdom, that's where the, the Lord Jesus will rule and reign. Yeah, out of, out of Jerusalem. 
Okay, let's stand together and we'll... Uh, I've, I've enjoyed being with you. Thank you for letting me talk to you. Uh, we're we're, we're going to get into uh, uh, several things. We're going to talk about the, the, the tribulation. Uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the nations. We're going to talk about signs uh, that are going on in the earth right now. If you have news that you want to bring or talk about, or if you have questions you want to ask, you can write them down and I'll I'll turn them into the office and, and I'll be glad to try to answer those. But uh, for the next uh, next eight weeks, seven weeks now from, from tonight, we'll, we'll be talking about uh, end time things. Okay. And uh, no question is uh, a dumb question. Okay. There are no dumb questions. Ask ask the question if you if you feel like you need to know something, be glad to try to, to help you understand. Okay. Jesus, we thank you. We want to be ready for your coming. Lord, this is, uh, as we discuss the Bible, as we talk about the scripture, as we talk about Israel, as we talk about the church, Lord, we, want to, we, we understand that you're coming soon. We're living in the end times. Uh, Jesus, help us. Stir our hearts. Help us to be ready. Lord, you may come tonight. Uh, Tomorrow during the day, you may come. Lord, whenever it is, we want to be prepared. We want to be ready. Cleanse us with your precious blood. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to be led by your spirit. Help us to draw closer to you every day of our lives. And we give you praise and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thanks for being here.